Um, this info session was uh, developed by myself and a few of my colleagues. Uh, a couple of them are here with us today, Danielle Farmer and Chelsea Sims, and Christina Hang, who was on our admin team, but has uh, since left our team to move on to different pastures. Um, but really glad to have Chelsea and Danielle here today, and perhaps they will be facilitating the next one of these. We'll see. All right. Um, so as I mentioned, we'll be going somewhere around 45 minutes to 45 minutes-ish today. Um, and the purpose of today's session isn't to provide like a fully comprehensive training on all things uh, opioid overdose or naloxone, but really just to give some basic information on what opiates or opioids are and what naloxone is, uh, why it's important to have this knowledge, um, why naloxone is important to have access to ideally for your work and your programs, um, how to become trained in administering it and where to access training and supply, and a little bit on common misconceptions or misinformation and a bit on some other overdose prevention strategies and resources. Um, and so if you're here, this training was originally, um, so ourselves as the Public Mental Health Partnership, we support uh, primarily FSP, full service partnership and home, homeless outreach and mobile engagement teams, uh, but also other field-based um, intensive mental health or sort of related uh, teams. Um, this training was something we uh, decided to develop because it seemed like there was sort of inconsistent awareness of or policy across programs around um, using naloxone as an intervention with your clients. Um, particularly at FSP, my understanding from home is that they, they have had a bit more of that implementation and training and access to a supply for that. So it's, it is less of an issue there. But if you're from FSP, this was you. Um, sort of uh, influence the development of this. And if you are working in other sectors, if you work for another, not for DMH, but maybe for um, any other sort of uh, supporting group, school, et cetera, whatever, uh, service provider, that's fine too. Um, this information will be just as applicable to you. Okay, um, as I mentioned, this is not a formal naloxone administration training. So this isn't a, a training where you will um, be able to administer naloxone right afterwards, nor are we going to be uh, providing you with any supply. That's not our role. It's just to sort of tell you how to go about doing that and to encourage you, uh, if you're able to, within your, in your work and your teams to do so. Um, this is also not a comprehensive harm reduction training or uh, medication-assisted treatment training. We do have a very comprehensive harm reduction training that will be provided live, I wanna say in April and May over um, a course of a few weeks uh, in sort of short, short segments, like an hour and a half each day, I believe. Uh, we also have that recorded. So that's available on our uh, learning management system or learning center. Um, we also have some other training recordings on medication assisted treatment um, that might be of interest if you want to search. You don't have to find those, Chelsea, it's okay. Um, <laughs> but anyway, that's that's that. There's plenty else out there, but we won't get into all the different types of medication assisted treatment, even if it is somewhat relevant because this is a medication uh, intervention uh, for uh, overdose reversal. All right, direct instruction from UCLA or DMH to your agency on what it needs to do or should do. Again, we are not trying to say that. It's not our role. We are here to support, to, to train, to provide ideas and information, uh, but we can't, we can't state uh, what you should do. And your agency might have specific policies on this stuff. And we encourage you to have conversations with your leadership or your administration, find out what those policies are, um, and 
if there is a policy of not knowing and not doing anything about this or of saying, no, we can't do that, here's some information you could share with them um, to maybe have a conversation and see if there could be uh, some change on that, if, if that's something you're passionate about and interested in trying to affect change around in your agency. Again, we can't tell you what to do. Okay, so this is a space to keep an open mind and person-centered perspective. Um, uh, naloxone is a very harm reduction-based intervention. Um, and when we talk about it, we, we hopefully don't wanna get stuck in the realm of uh, should people be using substances from uh, by which they can overdose in the first place? And is it in any way, you know, uh, is there a moral issue around using it? We won't be touching on that today and it won't fit into the conversation. That's probably for a different time. Um, we really just wanna encourage a person-centered perspective, um, trying to prioritize people's safety and um, giving them the chance to stay alive and hopefully pursue uh, greater well-being, however they see fit. That's the main goal of this intervention. All right, and finally, I mentioned, this is information you can share with your agency to support potential integration of naloxone into your team's toolkits, should your agency choose to do so. Okay, so let's talk about what we're talking about. What are opiates and opioids? Um, you are probably familiar with them in a few different forms. Um, if you've ever had severe pain or recovered from a surgery, you might've taken some of these medications you see listed here. Um, uh, like hydrocodone, oxycodone, morphine, codeine. Uh, these go, go by these variety of brand names you see on the right. Um, fentanyl also, which is a very popular uh, name these days, and we'll talk a bit more about that. Fentanyl is a pain management medication. It is something that is used, with, uh, it is actually prescribed. Um, that was its original sort of uh, primary existence in our society. Uh, we are now seeing something different with fentanyl where it is being integrated, illicit forms of it are being integrated into other drugs, or in some cases, people do choose to recreationally use fentanyl. Um, a common sort of earlier use of it was to smoke fentanyl patches, actually. Uh, we're just not, that's not really the type of use that we're seeing around fentanyl these days. It's often um, covertly put in other substances, or it's being used if someone is perhaps a person who uses opiates. Um, these are other medications here as well. Um, the majority of these um, come from either the organic form of opium, and opium is also a uh, opiate that can be used uh, recreationally um, or in maybe historical terms was perhaps used for pain management as well. Um, and then there's synthetic ones. So it's not really important uh, what is synthetic and what comes from like the natural source of opium. Uh, it's all interacting with our brains in the same way if we're using it. Um, so the main uh, consideration that we think of when we think of overdose has to do with potency, maybe a little bit with half-life, but primarily potency. Um, and then an individual's uh, tolerance, their capacity to use a certain amount of a drug and achieve a certain high, and then the risk of respiratory depression and, the, um, and other overdose symptoms. Okay, so truly these are some examples of opioids, but they're all the same in the sense that we, uh, they're not doing something terribly different in the brain. They just do it with a different strength and speed. Okay, so fentanyl, um, as I mentioned, it's a, a big, big hitter in causing uh, overdose these days. Um, and that has to do with its extreme potency for just a teeny tiny amount. 
Um, it can be put into other uh, substances that are used recreationally, like methamphetamine, cocaine, um, MDMA or ecstasy, pretty much anything uh, that can is a composite, which could be anything from a pill to a powder. Um, it's not, I certainly don't have the awareness or knowledge as to why certain other substances uh, are being more or less spiked or tainted with it. Um, that is sort of beyond my understanding in terms of the drug trade, uh, but it's happening. Um, and I'll show you a little data on how we can see that it's happening, that it's so frequently involved with overdoses, for example, from methamphetamine. All right, so illegal fentanyl is being mixed with other drugs. Um, these are these examples here. Uh, it's the potency that's the issue. It makes it so many, 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 many people, pretty much no one can have the tolerance to actually manage this um, physiologically. Uh, so it's it's a really big wild card if someone accidentally is, uh, is ingesting it in their substance use. Um, naloxone works on fentanyl overdose. The main thing to remember here is that uh, you might have to give someone more than one dose if you're ever administering it and you become aware that fentanyl has been potentially at play in the situation. Um, and that's not something you might be able to find out from the person because they might not know, but you might be able to see it if you are administering naloxone and then the person goes back into overdose, you know, 45 minutes later. Um, so we'll talk about administration shortly and just the basic best practices of that is to monitor to get EMS um, involved as quickly as possible to monitor for those vital signs and see if the uh, overdose is being fully reversed or not, if more medication is needed. Test strips. Test strips are a big thing for fentanyl. That's one of the best ways we can um, support folks who are using substances and figuring out if there's fentanyl in their supply. Um, and I'll go over a few resources for where you can access those in LA County closer to the end of this presentation. All right. So what is naloxone, also known as Narcan, um, Narcan being the brand name. Uh, so this is a medication that works almost immediately to reverse an opiate overdose. Um, it's a prescription drug technically, but it's not a controlled substance. Um, and it has very few known adverse effects and no potential for abuse. Uh, it, I understand that there um, is often a kind of like a misconception of um, some other types of medication assisted treatment like methadone, that that's just a substitute for uh, taking an opiate, um, which is not how I see that. Um, but I know that can be sort of a, a, a belief that many folks have, maybe fueled by some information or misinformation. Um, for naloxone, it couldn't be further from the truth. Um, it's not something someone's gonna take ongoing. It's not a treatment that if they take it this one time, they need to take it multiple times other than in the case of a stronger overdose like from fentanyl. It is only an intervention, a rescue intervention, um, and that's it. It's not It's not a treatment. So just wanna clarify that because there are a lot of long complicated sounding names that end in O-N-E that have to do with medication-based interventions around opiate use. And that's just the simple way of it. I know every single time I have to read through the different types of medication assisted treatments, I'm like, which one's which, which one's which? So just putting that out there in case anyone else experiences that. All right, uh, it can be administered multiple ways. Uh, nasal spray is what you see here in this little photo. Um, on the left, and it can also be given through an IM injection. Um, so if you are a little needle squeamish, it might be best for you to have the nasal spray. Um, 
It's uh, also some differences than the naloxone that's injected comes at a lower concentration than the naloxone that's sprayed up the nose. I don't know, but I'm assuming that's because you might have a, a lower chance of getting all of that ingested while spraying it up the nose since people are respirating also through their noses. Um, okay, again, it's a temporary drug. It wears off in 30 to 90 minutes. Um, and it can be used by trained and equipped lay people, not just providers, not just mental health providers or outreach workers or whoever we've got in the room here. Um, anyone can administer it as long as they have the training that's necessary and they have the supply. Um, and it can effectively respond to and reverse an opiate overdose, which is the critical piece. Why is it important? So if you're in this room and you, you found us, the public, the DMH UCLA Public Mental Health Partnership, you probably work with folks who have mental health conditions or uh, serious and persistent mental illness, perhaps likely, um, or maybe you work with the co-occurring disorder population, or maybe you work with uh, people experiencing homelessness. These are groups that are specifically at risk for overdose. Um, and with co-occurring, just simply due to substance use um, and the risks that go along with co-occurring disorder um, that are heightened. Uh, for unhoused folks, um, you've got a disconnection to resources, um, sort of an unstable living environment, possibly uh, inconsistent access to a regular supply of opiates if someone is an opiate user, um, which can impact things like tolerance, uh, which can impact a risk for overdose. Um, gender. Uh, interestingly enough, males are more at risk. Um, and then with racial and ethnic minorities, there are disproportionate impacts to um, people who are not white. So we are seeing in LA County, a much higher number of folks who are uh, Latino, Latina, and or Black that are uh, experiencing overdose and also dying from overdose. And that has been heightened by the pandemic or the post, if, if we're in post-pandemic, who's to say, um, since the pandemic began, that has increased. Um, other folks, uh, people that are exiting incarceration, I should also note on here, folks who are in, uh, exiting hospitalization or perhaps something like rehab are also at increased risk. Again, this is because tolerance drops. Um, so just anyone who's been basically cut off from uh, a regular supply or regular sort of regimen of use, you wanna look out for folks like that. Um, I think I have a little, I think I have a statistic to offer here too, if I'm not mistaken. Um, one second, let me look at my notes, maybe in a few minutes. Okay, um, youth and young adults, same thing, uh, much lower um, chance of accessing naloxone. I mean, I think we can guess at why this is. Uh, you've got um, uh, school-aged youth perhaps, uh, or um, not school-involved youth, uh, but either way, they're not going to feel in many cases like it's even possible to mention that they are using a substance like an opiate um, to anyone to access this. I'll talk just a little bit on what has happened recently with um, LA County's uh, Office of Education, where there's now an initiative to get naloxone into schools and to um, recruit basically volunteers who are willing to get trained in it and administer it um, and making sure a really large supply is available um, and planning for the implementation of that uh, to, to get in touch with that population um, to ensure that they, are, they can be safer. And I, I just wanna read something that I thought was pretty interesting and in understanding like how things have sort of shifted since the pandemic. Um, and this is just from an article. So I'm gonna kind of 
truncate and paraphrase. Uh, a study from LA County found that among people who injected drugs in LA County and in San Francisco, uh, let's see here, white people were much more likely to have recently gotten naloxone than black and Latino people. After the pandemic hit, rates of overdose surged among black people, far more than white ones. Um, and uh, the percentage for that we'll have here shortly. Uh, fentanyl seems to have hit black people especially hard because they are more heavily represented among the older cohort of people who use drugs. Um, that's from Ricky Blumenthal, who's with the USC Keck School of Medicine. Uh, normally older users are the safer ones, Blumenthal says. They use less drugs. They know how to get syringes. They know how to manage withdrawal. Um, if you've used heroin for 30 years, you know the deal, but because fentanyl is so much more powerful, it's catching these older folks who have been able to use more or less safely for many years. And then we also have this problem of who's getting naloxone. So, you know, it's interesting. Uh, some data will say youth and young adults are super at risk. This is also saying that older adults are um, just based off of their um, sort of prior, their history of substance use behavior and what they're accustomed to. Um, sort of not, not suspecting that this greater risk is there with fentanyl. So I just find it really all uh, interesting to understand and helpful to know for the individuals you're working with, whatever age you're working with, um, whatever different identities they might have, um, that there's there are gonna be nuances um, and there's no one size fits all around risk, um, but there are sort of different different issues that are coming up for different groups. And so it's worthwhile to get educated if you can based off of the group you're working with around risk. And if you can especially understand how they relate to their use and what their patterns are and get a sense for what they know, help to educate them on harm reduction and safety, not just around naloxone. Okay, so a little bit of overdose mortality data in LA County people experiencing homelessness. So, uh, uh, 2013 to 2018, overdose from alcohol and drugs accounted for 21% of LA County's people experiencing homelessness mortality. And at that point, it was about 800 individuals, and that was 88% drugs and 12% alcohol. So people can overdose from different substances, alcohol, uh, benzodiazepines, stimulants like methamphetamine or cocaine. Um, they can overdose and have um, and die from those. Uh, it is uh, not to ignore that those issues exist, but uh, the issue in terms of like the risk of fatality being involved with an overdose is so much higher with opiates. So that's why we focus on this. And also because we have a life-saving intervention uh, around it. All right, 2020 to 2021. So the beginning of the pandemic, drug overdose remained the leading cause of death among people experiencing homelessness during both years and overdose deaths increased 78% from the pre to post pandemic onset year. That is harrowing. That is why um, this would have been important three, four years ago, but it is even more important now. Um, some of the changes that occurred again in access to resources, treatment supports, um, how people might have gotten disconnected from, from, those, uh, from those supports and systems, uh, from treatment, uh, that's not changed. We know, I mean, if you are, you're working in your field and you also are just a person in the world trying to access healthcare right now, you're aware that it's harder to access. There are fewer people doing the work. There are greater weights. People are having different challenges that are stressing the system. So this is why this is even more important right now. Okay, a little bit of further information on overdose mortality. Um, 
So for California statewide, approximately 90% of all fatal overdoses now involve synthetic opioids uh, and stimulants like methamphetamine. Uh, we've got in 2017, uh, 537 deaths related to synthetic opioids uh, statewide. But again, between June and uh, 2020 and 2021, there were over, well, close to 5,000 deaths, an 800, 800% increase. So that's related to synthetic opioids. Sorry, this is a lot of words to say at once. 800% uh, increase uh, in just a few years' time. All right, and as I mentioned, oopsies, uh, Black individuals and individuals in their 20s were the most overrepresented amongst overdose fatalities during the pandemic, and this is statewide, so slightly different than the data I was just sharing. Um, and there's a little breakdown of that right there at the bottom right. And I will share a PDF of these slides so that you have them available if you want to review some of this further. I might move on from the overdose mortality data because I feel like those uh, couple slides pretty much paint the picture. It is just a rapidly worsening issue. Um, and there is a need to deal with it. And that is why we're here. So I'm going to move past them a little bit. All right, let's talk about naloxone effectiveness. What is the data around if this is working and to what extent? Um, a program conducted in New York to increase the use of naloxone for opiate overdoses reported an 88% success rate at preventing fatalities and observed that 63% of cases have no side effects. And we'll talk about what side effects or adverse effects could be in a moment and sort of the subjective nature of that. Uh, a naloxone distribution study in San Francisco reported that 11% of participants used naloxone during an overdose. And uh, of 399 overdose events where naloxone was used, 89% were reversed. Um, so we've got poor usage, but really high effectiveness within that small group that's getting uh, access to it and being able to have it as an intervention. And in Massachusetts, a study found that 27 to 46, found a 27 to 46% decrease in OD deaths in communities where um, ONs uh, was implemented. And that's overdose education and naloxone distribution specifically. All right, so who's been using it in LA County? Law enforcement's been using it, the fire department, EMS, inpatient and outpatient settings will have it on hand and use it and have folks trained in it. Uh, jails offer it uh, upon release. There was a vending machine pilot actually in LA County jails. I don't know if that's still the case. Uh, and here's a really crappy piece of data. Uh, from January 2019 to the end of June 2020, over 50% of deaths post-release from jail were due to overdose. This is again, sort of why it's so critical to work with folks and make sure this is available to them when they're coming out of any sort of institutional setting or uh, restricted setting like that, where they haven't necessarily had access to, um, well, drugs they're going to use. All right, Homeless Outreach uh, has been using it uh, with gusto. We've got different um, Homeless Outreach teams, some DMH, some not, some LASA. Uh, having it as supply and tr having training and supply to use. Uh, there was the DHS uh, LA 50K initiative where 54,000 units were distributed summer of 2021 to March of 2022. Um, so big strides there. And as I mentioned, as of September 2022, LA Unified School Districts K through 12 have a new initiative where they are, well, it is going to be available and the implementation plan is underway. And this is sort of, I don't know if we have anyone from schools here. I bet you're aware of this if you do work in schools. I thought to maybe cover a good bit on this, but instead I'm just gonna include a link to a toolkit. Um, so if this is relevant for you and your work or any of your colleagues work, 
look through this, find out um, how it fits into your work. If you work with school-age youth um, and you need to become aware of what is available in the schools, if this applies to your clientele, that might be helpful. Um, but I won't spend more time on that. And if folks do want to have more information on that, you can just uh, message me directly and I will pop some more information in at the end of the chat. Danielle Farmer from our team was uh, really helpful in collecting a bunch of information from a webinar she attended recently on this topic. So we have more info we can share, just not gonna talk through it today. All right, harm reduction orgs um, are great options as well, um, for, or have been using naloxone and making sure it's available. They are in uh, one of the main sources in LA County for its availability. Um, so of course they are using it. I'm going to switch gears and show a video, actually. Um, I am going to stop sharing this screen for a second and switch to a YouTube video on, uh, it's a nice little animation on um, how opioids affect the brain and also how naloxone works on the brain and the body. Naloxone saves lives. No time to sit idly by. More and more people are dying of overdose from the likes of heroin, fentanyl, and prescription pain medications like oxycodone and hydrocodone. These are all examples of opioids. Opioids are drugs derived from the opium poppy plant or made in the lab. They can treat pain, cough, and diarrhea. But opioids can also be addictive and even deadly. The number of opioid overdose deaths has escalated more than 400% since the turn of the century, with tens of thousands of lives now being lost every year. But many deaths can be prevented with a life-saving treatment, naloxone. When given right away, naloxone can work in minutes to reverse an overdose. Naloxone is safe, has few side effects, and some forms can be administered by friends and family. When is naloxone used? You can save a life. First, recognize signs of overdose. Limp body, pale clammy face, blue fingernails or lips, vomiting or gurgling sounds, inability to speak or be awakened, slow breathing or heartbeat. If you see these symptoms, call 911 immediately and consider the use of naloxone if available. How is naloxone given? Home preparations include a nasal spray given to someone while they lie on their back or a device that automatically injects medicine into the thigh. Sometimes more than one dose is needed. The person's breathing also needs to be monitored. If the person stops breathing, consider rescue breaths and CPR if you are trained until first responders arrive. How does naloxone work? Naloxone is an opioid antagonist, which means that it blocks opioid receptors from being activated. It is so strongly attracted to the receptors that it knocks other opioids off. When opioids are sitting on their receptors, they change the activity of the cell. Opioid receptors are found on nerve cells all around the body. In the brain, opioids produce feelings of comfort and sleepiness. In the brainstem, opioids relax breathing and reduce cough. In the spinal cord and peripheral nerves, opioids slow down pain signals. In the gastrointestinal tract, opioids are constipating. These opioid actions can be helpful the body actually produces its own opioids called endorphins, which help calm the body in times of stress. Endorphins help produce the runner's high that helps marathon runners get through grueling races. 
But opioid drugs, like prescription pain medications or heroin, have much stronger opioid effects, and they're more dangerous. Over time, frequent opioid use makes the body dependent on the drugs. When the opioids are taken away, the body reacts with withdrawal symptoms such as headache, racing heart, soaking sweats, vomiting, diarrhea, and tremors. For many, the symptoms feel unbearable. With continued use, opioid receptors also become less responsive, and the body develops tolerance to the drugs. More drugs are needed to produce the same effects, which makes overdose more likely. Overdose is dangerous, especially for its effect in the brainstem, relaxing breathing. Breathing can be relaxed so much that it stops, leading to death. Naloxone knocks opioids off their receptors all around the body. In the brainstem, naloxone can restore the drive to breathe and save a life. But even if naloxone is successful, opioids are still floating around, so expert medical care should be sought as soon as possible. Naloxone works for 30 to 90 minutes before the opioids return to their receptors. Naloxone may promote withdrawal because it knocks opioids off their receptors so quickly. But otherwise, naloxone is safe and unlikely to produce side effects. Naloxone saves lives. From 1996 to 2014, at least 26,500 opioid overdoses in the United States were reversed by laypersons using naloxone. While naloxone is a potentially life-saving treatment, more needs to be done to solve the opioid overdose epidemic. The National Institutes of Health launched the HEAL initiative in 2018, expanding research across multiple NIH institutes. All right, that's pretty much the bulk of that video. Okay, hope that was helpful. And there are multiple videos very similar to this, um, some animated, some with role plays, I find those to be a little bit odd. Um, the animated ones are a little bit uh, nicer to watch and understand. Um, I enjoy the little cartoon. All right, so just a little review here. Um, how does it work? It's an opioid antagonist. And as the little video just showed us, um, it's used to counteract the life-threatening depression of the central nervous system and respiratory system, allowing an overdose victim to breathe normally. And as the video showed, sometimes rescue breathing, if you know CPR, that would be helpful until emergency medical services can be on site or other medical attention can be accessed. Um, I don't know if your program's required to, you to be trained in that, um, but it's a great skill to have, very empowering. Um, if you are doing field-based work or if you're doing honestly any work or just a person in the world. Okay, so hopefully that makes sense. Um, a little review again, opioid impairment versus overdose. And this is from uh, DPH. Um, impairment, I mean, you're not necessarily going to know uh, if you're just observing someone, if it's impairment or if it's overdose. Um, impairment looks like relaxed mus muscles, slower slurred speech, Sleepiness, fatigue, nodding, um, which is really common, a reduced heart rate, and being responsive to stimulation like yelling, a sternal rub, which is rubbing, you know, with a knuckle or something right on the, the center of the chest, the sternum, pinching. And with overdose, you're going to have breathing as very infrequent or has stopped and the pulse is slow, deep snoring or gurgling. This can also just sound like congestion and kind of like a flimminess. Sometimes it's not like a deep snoring or gurgling. It just sounds like 
there is some uh, liquid or phlegm rattling around, just, just to clarify that. The skin is pale and clammy, loss of consciousness. Um, the video noted blue fingernails or fingertips, um, blue lips as well. Heart rate is slow, erratic or non-existence and unresponsive to stimulation. Now, if you know a person, you might have a better sense of what this looks like for them. If you've seen them high before, if you don't, it can be, you know, really tough. Um, the joy of naloxone is if someone is, let's say, let's say they are intoxicated from something else. They've, they've had alcohol and benzodiazepines, and they're also having some of this respiratory depression and central nervous system depression. Similar signs are showing up. Naloxone isn't going to do anything, actually. Um, it's not going to hurt the situation. It's not going to help the situation. If you have someone who's maybe impaired, but not in overdose, and you are being extra judicious and uh, administering it anyway, it is going to kick them out of um, their uh, impairment. It's going to, it's going to stop um, their intoxication. It is going to kick off the little um, opioids from their receptors in their brain. Um, they might not like that. So I'm going to get into that in a second on what the sort of side effects are. Um, and that is often displeasure <laughs> with being kicked into withdrawal because that is what's happening. Uh, when a, a person stops being high, when naloxone is administered, if they have been taking opiates, they won't be anymore and it will cause immediate withdrawal, especially if they um, have tolerance and have any sort of like actual chemical dependency on it. So your risk is pissing someone off if they are not in overdose and that you just ruin their high, um, but it won't harm them in any way. So someone doesn't have to be an overdose for it to be helpful versus harmful. It's just going to change um, whether they're intoxicated or not from the drug. All right. So reactions after administration. So what <laughs> some, some literature considers these adverse effects, um, I would tend to not call them adverse effects, uh, just sort of expected effects of someone not being high and going into withdrawal, which is pretty miserable. Um, so confusion and disorientation when returning to consciousness, not knowing what's going on, not being aware of the fact that they had overdose um, because they lost consciousness. Uh, that's one. Um, so stick, staying with someone and can explain to them what's going on is pretty critical here. Um, dislike of experiencing expected withdrawal symptoms. So body aches, GI symptoms, nervousness, irritability, dizziness, respiratory symptoms, fever, chills. Um, again, things that, you know, with medical attention and some support, you could probably help someone with. Uh, potential effects of intoxication from other substances, of using other substances at the time. So that's not a reaction after administration. That's just something that might have already been occurring that you weren't aware of because the overdose signs and symptoms were sort of overpowering the picture of the situation. So someone might have been uh, using multiple substances the uh, naloxone does its job, um, but then they're still drunk, you know, or they are still um, impaired by methamphetamine. Uh, that's a situation too. So if you have someone who's been using methamphetamine and an opiate, knowingly or unknowingly, once the opiates effects are removed by the naloxone, you will deal with someone who's on a stimulant. So how they respond at that moment may be influenced by that. Similarly, psychiatric symptoms that were present prior to the overdose, also a situation. Um, if someone was experiencing psychosis or anxiety or mania uh, prior to the, the use of the drug, that may be something that you are then dealing with um, and potentially amplified because of the distress of coming out of the overdose. Um, combativeness and violence is less common, but also impacted, of course, by all of the above um, and potential to return to overdose again without a second naloxone dose. And medical attention is also a potential reaction after administration.
All right, so who can administer it? Anyone um, can administer it. They just need to be trained. And I, I probably won't spend further time on that, but here's a list of folks. Um, you can do it. If your program has a policy, an explicit policy that you can't, that's definitely something to um, listen to, um, but legally you can, um, anyone can. And this is a little bit of information there on that um, from the California's uh, public health officer, if you're needing to read into that further or share that with anyone. All right, some myths and facts. Uh, having naloxone available encourages, to pe encourages people to take more drugs. That is a myth. Um, the fact is when someone has access to naloxone, their level of drug use uh, does not change necessarily. Being revived with naloxone is not fun. <laughs> it can cause painful and severe physical and emotional symptoms. For this reason, people only use it uh, in life-threatening situations. So you might have someone that comes back from a near-death experience and decides to make a change, or you might have someone who's really pissed about the experience and wants you to go away, and you might be dealing with an engagement issue. It's impossible to say, but there's no data to support that um, the fact that someone can get a bailout from death by naloxone is a reason why they're just going to keep using it. All right, another myth. People won't seek treatment if they have their own naloxone, similar vein. Uh, there's no evidence to support this statement. It actually increases the chance of someone seeking treatment by keeping the person alive. All right, another myth, naloxone is not effective for treating fentanyl overdoses. It is, it just might take one than more than one dose and a quicker response. All right, another myth, naloxone is unnecessary. Overdoses can be reversed by putting ice in the person's pants or injecting them with salt water or milk. I personally had never heard of any of these, um, <laughs> but uh, apparently these are strategies that might be um, known of in the world. So if you've heard them, now let's debunk them. Um, or if you've heard of some other ones, I, I welcome you to put it in the chat so we can share uh, this information and debunk it <laughs> fully. Um, naloxone and rescue breathing are the only safe and effective methods for reversing an opiate overdose. Uh, that's the fact. And now if someone is having uh, dehydration or any of the other things that might have just been like, you know, issues prior to the overdose, that's something to deal with too. All right. I can only get naloxone if I have a prescription from a doctor. That's not the case. Um, though it is a prescribed medication, uh, there can be standing orders and that's how um, agencies, different government orgs can have a supply of it to then uh, give to people with training. Okay, um, but pharmacies do stock it uh, and it is available there. So that's always an option if you're just looking to have it um, sort of separate from your work life, uh, you can access it that way, uh, as well as the access points that exist in LA County. And I'll review those in a second. All right, the Good Samaritan Law. This isn't terribly necessary um, for providers because you're not gonna be in the situation that the Good Samaritan Law really applies to. Um, this is for folks who would be calling EMS or calling the police when uh, someone, someone they're with is overdosed and perhaps they have been using that substance or have it on them as well. It protects them from getting in trouble for trying to help. So you can go into more information on that if you feel like it's relevant for any of your clients and educate them on their, their rights and protections here so they can feel empowered to um, get medical intervention if one of their peers or um, someone they're with has overdosed. So just a little info there, plenty of that online. Naloxone training and supply. So OENT, as I mentioned before, is an acronym that's not just used in California or LA, uh, but it stands for Overdose Education and Naloxone Distribution Program. 
Uh, so the LA County uh, Department of Health Services and the LA Community Health Project have partnered to create this program and it aims to reduce overdose overdose in LA County um, through training, education, and supplies. So what they offer are naloxone access points. This is where anyone can come get free Narcan, naloxone, to uh, reverse overdose. And you can see here, we've got Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, across the different service areas or different regions of LA County. Um, and they'll offer daily drop-in hours to access doses, um, brief training on how to administer it, and no ID or identifying information is necessary. Uh, so that's an option maybe for just, again, like the general public laypersons. Uh, there's another option, which I'll cover in a second, um, if your program is trying to get a standing order or supply um, and training, you know, ongoing, because you want to you want to make sure this is something you have available ongoing, uh, if that is what you're choosing to do. Um, but staff will uh, ask an individual how many doses they wish to take in a day. Um, they're given on an individual basis, not in bulk. Uh, again, uh, no ID necessary. Uh, training will be given. They'll assess prior familiarity with it first in case someone already has training. Um, let's see, harm reduction supplies are also available for the individual to take, like uh, clean syringes or safer sex supplies. Um, and a brief survey is administered in conjunction with this, but it's anonymous and purpose is just to you know, gauge community needs. So that is a great resource. You can instruct your clients that uh, know people who use opiates or who do themselves to go there and get supply. Uh, it's actually really important, not just that providers carry this around if they're doing field-based work or any type of work, um, supporting folks who might uh, use opiates, but to get it out into the community, to get it with the partners, the family members, the friends of those using, to get it to anyone, if, it, if people have use buddies, to get it in the room with them so that they can help each other. Um, that's, that's even more important. So you're likely not gonna be there most of the time when this happens. Okay. This is their website. Um, Danielle has, a, there's the One Basin Community Health Project that Danielle just posted. There's this one as well. Uh, so their website will include, again, the access points, uh, where syringe exchange resources are in the county, some OD prevention training videos, and an MAT provider list. Okay, um, so as I just mentioned, getting it to your clients who should carry it. So providers such as case managers, peers, Therapists, there should be a comma there, sorry. Nurses, psychiatrists, um, clients, family members, supports, or social contacts of clients after training. Um, and so it may make sense for you to identify and set up a training and supply resource plan with you and for your team, and then consider alongside that resource a plan to train and supply clients and their supports. Only you and your team can sort of figure that out. I wish we had the capacity or the, the um, sort of role to really support that in the comprehensive way, but I think at this point, it really will have to be program by program, and it's up to the autonomy and agency of your agency. All right, so another option, again, more so at the programmatic level, um, the uh, California Department of Healthcare Services has uh, the Naloxone Distribution Project. Um, this is a bit more complex. Um, than just a drop-in. So this is uh, on the right here, an info sheet on um, the Naloxone Distribution Project, uh, how to request it, how to get a standing order. And I will, in the PDF, you would be able to click on these links that are just right here, um, the application link, the website link, additional info and uh, FAQ about the program. Um, 
highly recommend looking into that. Again, this is something that you'd be, you would be, you would work out for your program. It wouldn't just be for you as an individual, um, most likely. Unless you're a one, one person shop or something like that, which I doubt any of you are here. Um, but that's how you can get training and supply ongoing. All right. There are some other just assorted resources here at the end. Naloxone Finder is a um, tool from the National Harm Reduction Coalition um, that just has a mapping of where uh, naloxone can be found. So that'll include other resources outside of, you know, um, the ones I just mentioned, including like pharmacies or other programs that have it available. Um, also, just as a plug, the National Harm Reduction Coalition's website has loads of info on overdose, all things, all things harm reduction, all things trying to keep people safe um, uh, in substance use. And um, I I haven't even looked recently to see how much further content they developed on training around this particular topic, aside from what we've maybe looked at five months ago, developing this, they're forever churning out more. So if you wanna do any deeper dive or try and orient your, your teammates or colleagues to any of this information um, more so, really recommend accessing all of their free training resources, um, really, really helpful stuff. Um, so some other training uh, sort of getting to understand this better uh, options online. Uh, California Department of Public Health has an 11 minute video linked right here on um, recognizing overdose and how to dispense naloxone and provide post overdose care, which we haven't gotten into here. So that would be helpful perhaps. Uh, welcome to overdose education and naloxone distribution. OWEND um, video here is a 1.5 hour webinar um, that's going to go into a much deeper dive on um, the things I've just sort of touched on here. And then, as I mentioned, the National Harm Reduction Coalition has a number of training resources online. Uh, this is a three-hour training um, of three self-paced interactive training modules, and those will have videos, questions, and reflection points, um, just like all things harm reduction, the basics of it. So some other overdose prevention strategies, which we're not getting into deeply here at all, um, exist and they exist for multiple substances. And so it's really helpful to be equipped uh, across the gamut of um, types of substances that the folks you serve might be using. All right, where to get fentanyl test strips. Uh, this is a list right here. As you can see on the right, we've got uh, the APLA locations um, and a few others on the left um, that are specific. Let's see, but this resource comes from APLA. Uh, so you can go to their website and um, see if those, see if the locations change over time. Um, but those, these are options to get fentanyl test strips. You can also order them online. Um, you can just Google it and find something that works in case you're wanting to have them on, in stock or in your programs that are available to your uh, clients, which is not a bad idea. All right, some last little overdose prevention strategies. Um, Again, ensuring folks who are actually with the people who are using when they're using have naloxone on hand. It's important. Encouraging folks to not use alone. Um, there's a, a tool called Never Use Alone online uh, that's pretty helpful for this. They, people can call in and just say, or, or text, um, I think it's maybe like Facebook Messenger, maybe, I can't really recall, uh, and have someone check in with them, take some demographic information and check back in with them after they've begun use. Uh, for that for that use period. Um, 
to make sure they haven't overdosed. And if they aren't responsive, then they will call emergency medical services and send them out to that person's location. So if someone is actually lose, using a loan, this is an option so that they're not technically using a loan. Someone is uh, monitoring their responsiveness. Um, if, if alone and someone has taken a break from use, going low uh, with a dose and going slow, waiting for a dose to take effect, seeing how that goes, and uh, then increasing the dose if that goes okay, if that's what they are wanting to do. Um, if using with others, making an overdose plan with them and staggering use if possible, purchasing drug supply from a same or reputable source, um, like something their friends, someone their friends buy from, so they have a little bit of like, you know, uh, consumer review knowledge on the potency or if fentanyl has been um, in re recent batches. Um, avoiding mixing drugs, you know, people are going to do what they're going to do, but it is an easier uh, situation to um, parse through if someone is just intoxicated from one substance at a time. Um, and engagement in harm reduction programming, such as syringe exchange, safer use sites, once they hopefully exist in California, they're just in New York City right now, or medication-assisted treatment. Um, these are all these lovely harm reduction interventions that you can learn about online or in some of our training content in the future. All right, we are done. Um, that did take a full hour. So thanks for your patience. I know that was a lot of someone talking at you. Thanks again. Take care, everyone. 